let me give you just a couple of preliminaries. Uh, as I sent a note out to everybody this week, uh, those that get it, that uh, I talked to a couple of the elders and they said, you know, if you need to extend your class a few weeks, you go ahead and feel free to do that. So that was a great suggestion. So we're going to kind of go aim for the end of May, actually May 22nd, but we may go one week longer. We'll just see how we go through that. And uh, that way uh, we can slow down a little bit and uh, give you some time to make comments and ask questions. Uh, it's just, there's such a massive amount of things to go through. I don't want you to miss one single thing. And uh, my, my wife has been concerned with that for years. Uh, people just, you know, they don't need seven feasts at one time. Just give them enough. And, uh, and so I, I'm trying not to bury you. At the same time, there's just so much in here that's so good. I hate to skip over any of this, and I hate for you to miss it. So we're going through a great section today. We're actually covering from uh, Exodus 19 to Deuteronomy. Now, that's a big whack. Uh, but hopefully you'll see where we're going. And we, we've been looking at at how God chose Joseph and put him in a place uh, in Egypt where Egypt became kind of an incubator so that this uh, family would grow into, you know, into a nation. And now the next step is going to get the nation in the land. And we're going to see that in Joshua and Judges. And ultimately the Davidic covenant is going to focus on that. But right now we're looking, we're going to be looking today of how as they come out, uh, the, the power encounters. Uh, in fact, Mike asked me a moment ago, he said, I never knew that these ten plagues had anything to do with the Egyptian gods, and yeah, you know, those actually were each one of the Egyptian gods that God is demonstrating, it's no challenge, you know, uh, it's not like we're going to be in a tug of war to see who's going to win this uh, arm wrestling, no, God's God, and he manifests that in a powerful way, and they come through the Red Sea, and then we come to Exodus 19. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 19. We're going to walk through this. So many good things here. And uh, let's ask uh, God to be with us this morning and give us a heart to not only understand, but to love these things as well. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today and we acknowledge our constant dependence on you. Apart from your grace and your strength, uh, we would never be able to stand before you. How we thank you that we have a standing because of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, the one uh, who came and, and took on humanity and died in our place. And even as we think of Palm Sunday today and this amazing triumphal entry with a crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, and then in a matter of days, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Father, how thankful we are that the development of those events was not in the hands of any Jewish leader, any Roman uh, soldier, any Roman uh, uh, prelate, uh, but you had designed all of these things, that everything that happened was according to the determinate counsel and your plans. And you did this uh, just as Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, so your son went to the cross and died in our place. 
but thankfully he's risen and now sits King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Father, we pray today as we look at one of these uh, key chapters and the development of the storyline, Father, help us to appreciate again your wisdom and just the artistry that you demonstrate in, uh, in uh, directing and producing the most amazing drama ever, uh, what I've called Cross Theater. So Lord, we come before you, we ask for your direction and help. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, come to uh, Deuteronomy 19, let me just uh, kind of walk through what we're looking at. Deuteronomy 19 gives you the setting. Uh, here's where uh, things are happening. Exodus. Exodus. What did I say? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. I got Deuteronomy in the mind. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that. Exodus 19. Thank you. Uh, it, it's going to give us the setting, kind of put things in place, and when you read this, you're going to immediately think of 1 Peter chapter 2. Then in chapter 20, we have the ten words, or the ten commandments. The Bible never actually calls them the ten commandments, it's called the ten words. Uh, we're going to look at that in chapter 20. Then 21 through 23 are the judgments. These are kind of the case laws. How do we take these 10 words and how do we imply them uh, in situations? And then in 24, we have the covenant that's ratified. Uh, a formal covenant is established. In chapters 25 through 40, then, we're given instructions about the temple uh, or the tabernacle or build the temple will come down the road. But in the middle of that, in 32 to 34, we have the golden calf. Now, because we have chapters here, it seems like it might be a long time. The fact is, from uh, Exodus 19 to Exodus 40, we have 40 days. These are the 40 days that he's on the mountain, and all of these things are given. That is until we come to chapter 35. Then 35, they actually begin the construction. So I guess I should say from 19 to 34, that's all happening in a short period of time. And it's important to grasp that. Deuteronomy is then 40 years later, the 40 days. Uh, Moses is on the mountain uh, twice for 40 days. Uh, we're going to see that. And then you have the 40 years wandering. 40 becomes an interesting number that recurs on a, on a number of occasions. And we're going to look and see how even in the very process of ratifying the covenant, Israel can really mess things up. You know, and we're kind of in the same boat. So we can take some encouragement from that. Well, what is the purpose of all of this? Remember, we've said God made a covenant with Adam Adam and Eve messed up. They took the fruit. You know, then he made a covenant with Noah. Noah built a vineyard and grew the grapes, and he had this drunken stupor, and he messes up. And so then God chooses Abraham, and he makes these promises, a land, a seed, and a blessing. Those are the things that run throughout Scripture. Now, what we've seen so far is this one man, you remember Sarah is 90, Abraham's 100 years old, 
and they have their son Isaac. Uh, it's, uh, you don't see many 90-year-old uh, ladies sitting in the nursery. You know, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, it's really a miraculous thing what God has done there. Now, out of this, remember it says, out of you are going to come a nation, people more than the sands of the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. Kings are going to come out of you. Well, what God does then is he takes them and puts them in Egypt for 430 years. It's kind of the incubator. And they multiply and multiply to the point that when this new king grew up that didn't know about that, didn't weren't part of the original thing with Joseph, they began to uh, oppress them. And you have the slavery, and you then have all of the things that happened, and the power encounters, how uh, God demonstrated his glory over Pharaoh in Egypt and rescued the people. They come out, love chapter 15 of Exodus, uh, uh, the song of, of, of uh, redemption, how God... God brought them out. So we come here. Now, in, in chapter 19, let's, let's look at the beginning of this. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and God called to him from the mountain. Now, I've asked you, how many times does he go up and down the mountain in this? Anybody have a number? Three. Okay, what do you say? I said three. Three? Six. Six? Seven. Seven? Eight. Eight? Do we have ten? Do we have twelve? Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's, there's no real way to nail that down. I think it's six. I actually put in my Bible, we'll kind of walk through this and show where it goes up and goes down. But again, this is a mountain. He's going up and down that mountain. He's there on the mountain twice for 40 days. We're going to see that. And, and so when uh, you, you look at this, and it says, Moses went up to God. This is the first time, actually, in my Bible, I, I put a little circle with a number one with a little blue dot, so I can trace that as I go through that. And I'm not guarantee that's right. In fact, I think somebody read uh, that somebody said it's eight times he goes up and down the mountain. So you'll have to kind of work that out on your own. And I don't think that that's going to be one of the entrance quizzes you have to take to get into heaven. So if you get that wrong, you may still be eligible, okay? Uh, so anyhow, we, he says, the Lord went up to God, and the Lord called to him from this mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on, weagle, on, on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now listen carefully. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, okay, that's a big if. If you do that, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Now, that's a key word, a treasured possession. Out of all the nations, Israel is going to be distinct. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words you're to speak to Israel. Now, uh, let me just read a text of Scripture from the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Does it sound like any relationship there? Well, Peter is just taking this out. And what he's saying in this text of Scripture is they are going to be a treasure. And it has the idea of a devoted servant of God. And so the, the, the nation, and again, we've made this point with Abraham. Abraham isn't just going to receive the blessing. He's going to channel the blessing out to all the other nations. That's what this is all about. Just as us, we don't just receive the blessing of salvation and just say, well, I got it and my neighbors don't serve them right. No, if you've got it, you want other people to get it. It's kind of like a great joke. You know, you hear a great joke or a great story. What's the next thing you want to do? You want to share it with somebody else, you know, and, and share it. And, and there's a kind of joy that comes again. And so it is with us. We want to see the gospel go out. We want to see millions of people come to faith in Christ. That's what missions is all about. You know, that's what evangelism is all about. The Acts 1-8 ministry here. That's what your life is all about. And, and that's what it means to be a treasure. You know, a devoted servant of God. But then he also says royal priest. Notice the two terms. Royal has to do with what? Kingship? You know, priesthood has to do with, you know, the cult, the sacrifices, the worship, and all the rest of that. But it's an interesting way he puts them together, royal priest. That's really what Adam was. You know, that he was both king and priest in the Garden of Eden. And so Israel is going to do what Adam was appointed to do. He messed up. Noah messed up. Abraham didn't fulfill it. It's going to take one to come, but now you're going to be royal priest, and you're going to exercise a kingly rule. So it would be Israel's task while they're there in the land to show all the other nations around what kind of godly kingship looks like. We're going to come to that when we look at David. But he says you're a holy nation. They're moving from a family to tribes now to a nation, and the word holy, man, we could take two weeks on that, love the word, and it doesn't just mean separated from. We often hear, well, it means that God is separate from. It really means consecrated and devoted to God. You know, it, it's, uh, uh, the people of Israel are going to be unique and special in the fact that they are a holy nation, they're consecrated, and they're devoted to God. And what, are they, what does it mean? It means they're going to administer the promises given to Abraham. Not just embrace them and enjoy them, but administer them. And, and their task is going to be to, to, to roll them out, to channel them to other people. And they're going to fail as miserably as that, as they do most everything else. But that's the task that God assigned to them. Well, we come to chapter 20. You know, so much uh, of, of Scripture is, is focused on uh, uh, chapter 20. These are the absolute commands that God gives them. These are the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. 
And uh, we actually have different ways they're numbered. Some will number them differently, uh, and uh, uh, not everyone agrees. But everyone agrees that these are important because God actually writes them down, you know, uh, with uh, his own finger. You know, we, we've often heard that. And, and what these are, there are no fines or punishments for this, it is called prescriptive law. That is, it, it, it is the things that God has written for us to do. And they were bound before God as his creatures, as his redeemed nation, to obey those directives. And you're going to see that again and again. You count to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the blessings and the cursings, whether you follow that. I'm reading through, just finished uh, reading through my Bible reading, the book of Leviticus. You come to is it Leviticus 29, you have this long list of do this, do this, do this, I'm going to bless you. But if you do this, this, and this, boy, the judgments are going to fall. And you're going to see that throughout. So while these don't have any direct fines or punishments, you're going to see that for the next one. Uh, it becomes absolutely central in terms of how they are to live before God. So they become general moral directives. Now one of the questions that I ask you is, uh, uh, when we come to Deuteronomy in a bit, we're going to see that phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That comes from Deuteronomy 6. And so Jesus says, all the law and the prophets, when Jesus said all the law and the prophets, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Talking about the whole Old Testament. All of the Old Testament hangs on love God, love your neighbor. That's the two foundational things. Now, lots of questions about what absolute unchanging the moral law of God is. We see laws change throughout Scripture, but some things don't change. And so there's been a huge debate, and I, I want to encourage you to think through it, is when, when God created Adam... God kind of put into his heart, into human nature, a sense of right and wrong. You know, this innate sense of this is right and I am answerable to God. And I said, you know, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, wouldn't it be a good idea to know what he's going to ask us about? You know, what, what are we going to be judged by? And if you go back to Adam and Eve, what God hardwired into their heart, I think, was love God and love your neighbor. You know, and that never is going to change. But each one of the covenant administration is going to shape that in specific ways. And so, for instance, if there are lots of people that think that, that what God put and wrote on his heart were the Ten Commandments. But the problem I have with that is... You know, to write on his heart not to commit adultery, uh, Adam's not thinking about that. He doesn't really have a choice, right? You know, or he think about, have no other gods before me. There aren't any other gods at that point. Those things are going to develop along the way. So I think there are reasons to think about when we come to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments hang on, they are in a sense uh, uh, putting into practice those two things that never change, love God with all your heart, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, and they will take different shapes, you know, and it, it's much the same way as you grow up. 
You know, when, when I was four and eight and 12, there was still a responsibility I had to obey my parents, but it came out in different ways because, you know, of different levels of maturity. It wasn't a different standard, and I think you're going to see that in Scripture. These things are going to develop. In fact, Galatians is going to say that those under the Old Testament were like children, and you have all of these requirements, all of these rules, all of these uh, various feast days and so forth. When we come to the New Testament, we're adults. So as adults, does that mean we're not, we can do anything we want now? No, you understand that doesn't mean that. And so the question has been, what is the heart of, of moral commands? What does God want? What has he hardwired in every human being? And I believe it's that very thing, love God. Love your neighbor. And so isn't it interesting that in the Ten Commandments, what are the first four? Love God. You know, have no other gods before me. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. None of the Sabbath day and so forth. What are the last six? Love your neighbor. You know, don't, don't lie. You know, don't uh, uh, steal and don't covet. And so, you know, it, you, you see the structure of that there. So that is the general moral direction. Now, let me tell you one thing that's so important. We can argue all day about how this is all going to work out. The reality is we live in a world today that has almost totally rejected any sense of divine authority. There is no God who has given any kind of law. I, I saw a video recently of... Uh, 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 Doug Wilson, who uh, presented at Indiana University a, uh, a lecture on sexual ethics. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. You know, here are maybe 200 students just raving, raging, angry, sighing, standing up, yelling, because you understand how that works? If there's a God who created people, male and female, we can't even agree on that today with all the, you know, the, the gender options. You have a hundred different ones on Facebook now. You have all these different options, and then it says, you can't do this, you must do this, and they're going to say, wait a minute, that's oppressive. I, I want to do this, whether it's whatever kind of sexual uh, uh, desire is there, nobody can tell me I can't. That is a default position today. And if you take a posture that says right, wrong, you know what you are? Binary. Binary is bad. You, nobody wants to be binary today. We want to see the, the, the fullness, the plurality of all these different expressions well, it's because in the end there's a rejection of God because God brings with it some moral standard. So let me simply say, even if we don't exactly agree on what the unchanging moral law of God is, man, we are over here together living in a culture that's abandoned the whole thing. And it takes some people that are willing to stand up and say, this is right. I'm not going down that path. This is the way I'm going to teach my children. This is the way we're going to live our life. So this becomes fundamentally important for who we are as people to recognize that God is the creator. Sorry about this, but we're the creature.
We're not the same level. We don't get to decide that. And we are created to be answerable agents. That means we're going to answer at the great white throne judgment. Uh, Every one of you is going to get a mark for how you've played cross theater. How have you lived your life? And this is going to be the standard, so it becomes really important. So let me pause here for a minute. I've thrown a bunch of things out and asked you to think about this. Comments, questions. You tracking with me here? Again, it's important for me to, for you to recognize whatever differences there are within the Christian community here about these things, it is so minor compared to what we have over here in opposition to that. Do you see that? Really important to see that. Questions? Comments? I'm either so clear that there's no questions or you're so confused you're afraid to ask. Here's one that's confused, so he's going to ask. Well, I, I think what it is that you're saying is, even though there are questionable things among Christians, we're still Christian. That's right. That's right. And the outside world is still lost. Yes. And, and so we what, have to keep and what, that separation. And what that means is, as Christians, we are answerable to God. Right. And we live our life in a way. And so even with changes that you have throughout, there's a continuity through all of this. We all know that some things change. We have, any of you eat shrimp? Any of you have bacon this morning? I know when we went to Israel, we tried to order a cheeseburger. Have any problem with that? Why can't you get a cheeseburger? Because you can't mix meat and milk, according to Old Testament law. Well, Jesus said, okay, I'm, the, the, the restrictions and the kosher food laws are no longer in place. You know, and so we see a change. Well, does that mean you, know, you can sleep with your brother or your dog or your, your friend or whoever? No. You know, we, we have that, that same basic love God, love your neighbor, and Jesus is going to tell us what that means. What does it look like to do that? And we've got all kinds of directions. When Pastor Logan went through the book of Ephesians, man, passage after passage after passage talks about how we live out our Christian life. You know, and so even though we may have some questions about just exactly what that is, I want to tell you, we are so much together on that. You know, that's a good thing to talk about and understand. But understand, man, we're facing a a unified rejection of any kind of authoritative moral standard because they hate God. And the reason they hate God is because it restricts what they want to do. And we need to stand firm on that. Any other comments, questions? Okay, let's press on. Chapters 21 through 23, we're just going to say something very quickly about that. Uh, uh, Chapter 21 begins, these are the laws you are to set before them. So he gives us the ten words. Now he gives us what are called case decisions or descriptive law, it's precedence, applying these, these principles he sets out. How do we apply them? So if you build a porch, you put a railing around it. Why? Because God's like railing? No, because it protects people. 
so they're not going to fall off and they're not going to get injured. So that's what we have in the case laws that are set out. They impose fines and punishments. You'll see them again. We don't have time to work through each one of them. Uh, and they're often divided into cultic, you know, what we do in terms of priesthood and feast days and, and the moral, the ten words, and then what are things that are true for an Israel society, how do we work, and, but they're, they're combined. It's not like one section is this, one section is this, one section is that. They're all combined together. Now, I want you to go to uh, chapter 24. Chapter 24 is one of the most important passages in Exodus and the Old Testament, in the Bible, actually, because what happens here, I want to read part of this uh, to you together. Uh, Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. Now, I have a number four next to that with my little blue circle. This is the fourth time now. Uh, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Wouldn't you like to have two sons named Nadab and Abihu? Love those names, though they didn't make out very well in the end. Anyhow, uh, uh, you come up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You're to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with me. Now, you've got to get the picture of this. We didn't read all of it in 19. The whole mountain is shaking and smoking. I mean, it is an awesome thing. It scared the people to death. In fact, they said to Moses, you go talk to God. You come and tell us what he says. We don't want to be around here. It, it was, it's a, it, it's a, I don't know how to describe it, how awesome it must have been to be there. And, and when you come to this part and you realize, wow, here is God coming down and shaking the whole mountain to get their attention. So what, what does it say here? Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. They responded with one voice. Okay, somebody read that. What, what did they all say? Who's going to read it for us? We'll do it. Okay, done. Nike, you know, do it. Uh, everything the Lord said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. What we have in 20 through 23, uh, he got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bull, young bulls, as fellowship offering to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it on the bulls. The other half he sprinkled on the altar. Now, you remember we talked about with Abraham, God divided the animals, and then uh, 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 Abraham was asleep and God walked between it. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. The blood is being spilled in order to establish his covenant. He took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made. Actually, the word that he's cut with you. You know, you cut a covenant in accordance with all these words. Moses, 
Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 70 elders, went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me from the mountain and stay here. Uh, Go down to verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the Lord covered the mountain. On the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud, and as he went up onto the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, now what follows, 25 all the way down through 31, is he giving them directions about what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. Okay, he commits the the covenant to writing, they ratify the covenant, uh, and, and then... Uh, uh, what takes place. He gives them these instructions about that, and then we come to chapter 32. Remember, Moses up on the mountain, people down here, it's been 40 days now, and they're beginning to say, what happened to this guy? You know the story of the golden calf, and I love Aaron. You know, when Moses came down, God said, the people you brought up Uh, God has a a way of getting to us at times. Your people, the ones you brought up, they have made a golden calf. So Moses goes down the mountain. You know the story. throws down the tablets. They're broken. And he says, Aaron, hey, bro. Uh, Remember, they were brothers. What are you doing? He said, well, they gave me the gold. I threw them in and out jumped a calf. (laughs) That's the kind of story I told when I was a kid. You know, uh, actually, one of the worst trouble that I got in when I was a kid, my mother bought, there were five of us kids in the family, and she bought us all some special Valentine candies. I don't remember what it was. I found them, and I ate them and enjoyed every one, but made a huge mistake. I hid the papers under my bed. If I would have hid it under my sister's bed, I would have escaped maybe, but that's why I knew I was responsible. Every time something went wrong, I said, well, Gary's responsible. You know, and, and so uh, I don't know how we got there. Let me get, let me get back to this. So, so anyhow, what, what you have here is uh, in the very point of making the covenant, you know, at least... Uh, Noah uh, 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 planted a vineyard and sometime later got drunk. This is in the very midst of the covenant ceremony. They're making this golden calf. You know, and you read the interaction. You know, God says to Moses, I'm just going to wipe these people out. I'm going to start fresh. And Moses pleads with him and says, no, you can't do that. You've made these promises to them. And it goes back and forth. And, uh, uh, and then he goes back up on the mountain, chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write them the words that were on the first tablet. And uh, uh, notice uh, verse 10 Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before your people. 
Every place through here, I've underlined covenant with red so I can follow the progress. That's what we've been looking at with the storyline. He's going to say later on in verse 27, the Lord sent to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. Now, it doesn't say the first time he went up, he fasted, but it says the second time that he did, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And this is where, when he comes down, remember he had to put a veil over his face? Why? His face was radiating God's presence. Now, I personally think the veil was to protect the people from the glory of God breaking out against them. You know, we skipped over the part about the people that were put to death, you know, because of the golden calf, the plague that God sent. I mean, God's serious when he deals with sin. You know, we tend to think uh, it's kind of a psychological thing. We'll get over it. Uh, it. It is a serious thing. People died because of this. And so the covenant then is established uh, uh, you go to the end of Exodus, uh, and it's uh, now actually uh, building uh, the tabernacle that you described. The book of Leviticus, we're going to cover that in one sentence, it basically sets out the priesthood, the, the, the uh, various uh, uh, feast days and so forth. Then we come to Numbers, and Numbers is kind of the travelogue. You remember, they're 40 years in the wilderness, and you remember... Anybody remember, why did they end up walking through the desert for 40 years? I'm sorry, who? Where are we? They didn't trust the, the gods who despised the 12 spies and they came back and said, no, we can't do it, and they believed them instead of Okay, they, they did the golden calf, and then he said, I, I, want, I want to send 12 spies in and, and from Kadesh Barnea. You remember Kadesh Barnea? And they came back and said, man, they, they had, uh, you know, uh, uh, between two guys on a, a pole, a bunch of grapes. I'd like to see that bunch of grapes. It takes two men to carry this bunch of grapes. And uh, uh, they went up and said, man, it's amazing. But they are giants up there. And they are walled cities. Man, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can. We can do it. Let's go do it. And they grumbled against Moses. You remember what happened to the ten guys that said we can't do it? Crispy critters. They were gone. God's judgment fell on them. They died. Only two of the fighting men ever got in to see the promised land. That was Joshua. That was Caleb. And you remember, throughout Numbers, we have all these different things that are happening during those 40 years of wandering. But the 40 years of wandering is a judgment of God because they wouldn't trust him and believe him and go in and do what it says. So after the 40 years of wandering, we come to the book of Deuteronomy. Anybody know what the book of Deuteronomy means? What's Deutero mean? Second. Second. What is namas? Law. So it's the second law. And, and what uh, Deuteronomy is going to set out is uh, the covenant, same covenant, now is going to be reestablished with the new generation. 
Remember, all of the previous ones are gone. They're dead. And now it's the ones that they said, our children are going to be lost in the desert. And God says, no, I'm going to show you. These are the children who are going to walk into the promised land. You are not because of your sin. And as you go through numbers, you know, the, the grumbling because of they don't have water and God opens the rock. And they grumble because they don't have food. And he gives the manna and the quail. And, and, and you see that same spirit throughout. They just won't trust God. They want to do it their way. You know, I, you've, somebody wrote a song, right? I did it my way. Uh, and they did it their way. But Deuteronomy, in one sense, is really the heart of the Old Testament because it's pulling everything together that uh, uh, this is the text. Remember Deuteronomy 6, 5, Shammai Yisrael Adonai Elheinu Adonai Akad Baruch Shem Kavod Malkuso Lolam Boed. You know what that is? That's a Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. When I was in seminary, we actually got to go to, Anne was with me, uh, we got to go to one of the, the, the Jewish temples right there north of Philadelphia. We heard Ben-Gurion. Uh, and Ben-Gurion, and, and I felt really, you know, like I was with it because when they stood up and did the Shema, I could say the Shema with them. I took Hebrew, took some conversational Hebrew. We learned to do the Shema. And, uh, but it was very interesting. Ben-Gurion said, don't send us your money. You know, don't send us your kids. Teach them Torah. Never forget that. Uh, now, he wasn't a believer, and we know more than just teach them Torah. But I, I love the fact that at the very heart of this, it's to love the Lord your God. That's what the covenant is all about. It's about bringing us into a covenant relationship of communing with God, of enjoying God's presence. It's not just a matter uh, of, of staying ahead of the, uh, the uh, what's that big machine, that the, the steamroller? We have those big things when they're rolling out, you know, after they put down some kind of uh, uh, tar or whatever. And, and there are lots of people, they see God as a steamroller. I just got to keep ahead of them. I don't want to get flattened, you know, by those wheels coming around. That's not what it's all about. God's not a steamroller threatening to flatten you. You know, the heart of God is a heart of love. And so what he wants is he wants your love. You know, he created you in order that we could enjoy this fellowship with one another. And so he's going to say, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, that's the word achad. You know, one God. Therefore, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus picks up on this. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all of the Scripture. So Deuteronomy becomes the, the, the heart of Scripture. I love going through Deuteronomy. I love just going back. Actually, my Bible reading is another month or so before I get to, uh, uh, to Deuteronomy. But I've skipped ahead, you know, and I reread this again several times as we've been working through this. And I absolutely love it. If you don't love the book of Deuteronomy, you should leave the class. Maybe you should stop even professing to be a Christian. You know, you know the, the fact is, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek now. I'm not really asking anybody to leave. 
There, there's a passage in the New Testament that says God's judgment is going to come not just because they didn't know the truth and not just because they didn't believe the truth. Do you remember what it says? Because they didn't love the truth. There is something wrong in our hearts if we can't love the God who enters into this relationship with us knowing all along they're going to mess up. They're not going to keep the very commands they promised that they were going to keep. So Deuteronomy is the climax of the Pentateuch. You know, Israel is in the plains of Moab. That's just east of the Jordan River. You know, and across to the west is uh, the land of Israel. They're in the plains of Moab. And Moses looks back and recounts the history of the last 40 years as the book of Deuteronomy begins. He's recounting that. He focuses on Kadesh Barnea and the failure. And what happens here is Moses makes a new Mosaic covenant for just this time in Israel's history. The covenant was made 40 years earlier with a different generation. It's now going to be reestablished with a new generation. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is really all about. And the covenant is going to be expanded. There's a new time frame now. Okay, uh, uh, all of the people that didn't believe God are gone. There's a new generation that rises up. There, there, in, in Deuteronomy, you're going to see uh, uh, the covenants being developed. Actually, the covenant at Horeb, that's there at Sinai, and then the covenant that he's going to make now at Canaan. So in chapter 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy, turn to Deuteronomy for a second. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Now that would be confusing because they already had that 40 years earlier. But now what he's going to do is he's going to say, now I want to gather all those together and I want to bring them back and remind you of those and establish you in those now that you're ready to enter the land of Canaan. You go down to verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. He declared to you his commandments, uh, uh, his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow. And as you go through that chapter, you're going to see covenant used several different times. Then in chapter 5, Moses summoned all of Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to your hearing. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers um, that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. And so he's going to introduce now chapter 6 through 29 is the development of the, the covenant, same covenant being reestablished with a new generation, but now as they're ready to go into the land of Canaan. One of the most uh, sobering passages is Deuteronomy 28. Uh, actually, 27 and 28. You go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the blessings and the cursings. Chapter 28 says, here are the blessings. Here's what God's going to do for you if you obey me. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. And then you come to 29. We've got we to gotta finish up here. Go with me to 29. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. Okay, that was back at Sinai. 
in addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did to Egypt. Go down to verse 9. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper. Verse 12, you're standing here in order to enter into a covenant, a covenant that was made with Isaac and Jacob. And so throughout this passage, what's happening is the covenant that he made with the first generation that they so miserably failed, it's reestablished here and expanded to some degree, and it's done in order that God's purpose is going to be understood, and, and you have the sense of today, now, this is happening. I love that in the New Testament when Jesus will do that. Today, this promise has been fulfilled in your ears when he was at, at the temple. So let me just quickly say this. Deuteronomy 6, the laws expanded and explained. These commands, laws, decrees, love the Lord your God with all your heart. These commands that I give you today, the promise, all of those are part of what's happening in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I'm going to skip past this. I want to go to the last slide. So where we're coming now is to the promised land. They've got to have a home. They've got to have a place. Now you have the people, you have the nation, you have the people. We've got to get them into a place. And so this now, the Mosaic Covenant, is a transition into the people being in the land. Let me make several points and then we're going to end. It is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Remember, that was 430 years earlier. If you've been part of that group, you say, that's not going very well. We're slaves here. we got to make bricks and we don't even get straw now. Not going very well. But if you see the long picture, God keeps his promises. He made a covenant to give them a land, and they are about to enter it. Now, wonderful side story, Moses doesn't get to go in. You remember why? And he pointed to the Israel and said, it's your fault. You know, when I should have spoken to the rock, I smacked the rock. And God says, because you didn't honor me, neither you or Aaron is going into the land. I'm going to let you see it from Mount Pisgah. You can look over that. You can see it. But you're not going over there. But I'm going to keep the promise that I made. They're going to have a land. You know, there is a promised land. Israel is to fulfill the Adamic role that God had assigned to Abraham. And what is it? To just get the blessing and enjoy it? No, it's to channel the blessing. You know, to receive it and let it go out and flow out to other people. So Israel now is in the position to be the channel of blessing to all the nations. If they would have done that, you know, the history would have been very different, but God has other purposes in this. Israel has a responsibility to mediate God's rule and be the channel of blessing for all nations. Now, you know the rest of the story. We won't be able to look at that in detail, but we're going to see failure, 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 failure. Somebody's going to have to come along that's going to succeed. And it looked like it's going to be David. And we have the covenant 
with David. We're going to look at that next time. But David's no better than Noah and Abraham and the rest of them. And it's going to take somebody. And that's what Easter week is all about. You know, the incarnation of the Son of God. Now understand, if you, uh, Isaiah 40 through 48, one of the greatest sections in Scripture, the servant passages, where uh, uh, Jesus, there, there has to be somebody that's Israel that's going to come and do it because they failed. That's going to be Jesus Christ. And friends, I tell you, you know, uh, there's some of those things I would have loved to go back and live through some of that but I'm glad I'm on this side of the cross. You know, so it's not before the mountain quaking. In fact, let me, let me conclude our class. I promise you, we're getting to the end right here. Okay, uh, go, go to Hebrews. Uh, let me see if I can find the passage. Uh, yeah, uh, chapter 12. Look at verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all the earth, uh, to all men, to the spirits of righteous men, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, remember what was right above that? That's what we get. Go back to verse 18. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, so that those who heard it beg that no further word be spoken. Yeah, it'd been cool to be there, right? But, man, he says, you haven't come there. They couldn't bear what's commanded. Even if an animal touches a mountain, it was so terrifying that even Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. And he says, but you've come to a different thing. I'm telling you, friends, what we have in Jesus Christ. I've been a Christian for a long time. And too often I take it for granted. These are the things that remind me of what a gift and what a blessing. I'm not standing before this mountain quaking and everybody around me hiding their face. But to the open arms of a great high priest who knows exactly how we feel because he's been down that path and forever he is there praying for you, praying for me, for every one of his people that we're going to make it through all the landmines that are there in our life. And friends, we can rest assured we're going to finish strong, not because we're strong, but because the one who empowers us is strong. Let's bow in prayer. We'll conclude. Father, how grateful we are that we are not standing before Mount Sinai and experiencing all that uh, that generation of Israel saw, felt, and heard. But Lord, you've called us to peace. 
you said to uh, boldly come to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help us in the time of our need. You've said that in Jesus the, the, the veil has been torn in two so that now we have an entrance into your presence. Lord, what a great blessing. And Lord, as we think of even today, uh, traditionally the Palm Sunday, and all that that means, that the one that you sent entered into Jerusalem to proclaim his kingship, and the response was overwhelmingly positive, but by the end of the week it turned to crucify him. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not just remember this story, but to relive the reality of the uh, triumphal entry, uh, all the events that took place in the Passion Week, uh, the last meal together, the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the uh, arrest, uh, Judas and all of his cohorts coming and betraying our Savior with a kiss, and the uh, uh, trial before Pilate, and uh, Ultimately, his crucifixion, his cries of agony, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then ultimately, his glorious resurrection and ascension. So we're thankful today that Jesus sits enthroned, King of kings and Lord of lords, as the second Adam, the second Noah, the second Abraham, the second uh, Moses, the second David, uh, the one who was able to finish what all of the rest of them failed to do. And Father, how grateful we are that we're accepted in the beloved. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.